I'm Andy Boyd, Father Andy Boyd. See, this is weird, Vince. This is why you shouldn't allow me to be the one introducing. Father Andy Boyd here. Welcome back to the Encounter Mercy podcast. As you already know, I'm joined by Vince Dragone, our main host, our owner and uh, runner of this show. I'm going to give you as many Howdy. titles as I can now, Vince. It's all your own fault. Well, it's you, all your own fault. You forgot. Nah, never mind. I, my I head's, didn't forget anything my head's not no, as no, big no, as yours. You're getting a little bit ahead of yourself. But tonight, of course, is as always, when I have to do something, uh, it's going to sound horrible and all screwed up. But uh, we want to welcome tonight uh, Father Joseph Patron, a newly ordained priest of the Diocese of Erie, a uh, classmate of mine from St. Vincent's Seminary. Um, uh, it's And Joe, Father Joe, you've been now ordained about, what, a month? A little over a month. That was the wrong one. That was the wrong one. That was supposed to be applause. <laughs> well, we're going to let that keep going, though. I like that. Oh, what, what was that? That didn't sound like applause. <laughs> anyway, well, so about about a, just a little over a month, which is crazy exciting. I was one of the few priests that got to attend your nation during this, well, insanity. Um Father Joe, wow, when he was Deacon Joe and I and mom and, a, you know, the rest of the group from St. Vincent's went to the Holy Land together. Uh, not that we ever did anything with that audio. Got to do something with that maybe someday. But yeah, a year uh, it was after Deacon you've Joe done it. Yeah, I'm bad with that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, Deacon Joe at the time and now Father Joe. And so uh, excited to have you on as a guest. So thank you for coming tonight. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you this evening. Yeah, and I think you're going to notice that there's a lot of people after the fact that might uh, say, oh, yeah, I heard you on that weird podcast with those other two losers. You, you make it normal. So uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on and making a little bit of uh, fun for tonight. But Vince, as always, I have to know, you mentioned something earlier, but you kind of just hit it. So what you said to ask how your night is going. Oh, yeah. So I've had the most wonderful night so far. So I went to uh, I was grilling awesome dinner tonight. We are having like uh, chopped up peppers, onions, potatoes, and corn on the cob through those on a pan on the grill. I was grilling some chicken and then I took the chicken off, put my hot mitt on, go to grab the, the pan and my hot mitt failed on me and I burned my first three fingers, my thumb, my middle finger and my index finger really bad. Like I'm blistered. Oh. So I can't do anything. I can't do anything with this hand except for ice it with my glass of cold wine. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to have a hard drink for dinner tonight because I'm in so much pain and I want to enjoy my dinner. So I go to open a bottle of bourbon and the cork breaks off on me, which has never happened before. A brand new bottle of bourbon. So my night's going wonderful. How's yours? Uh, man. Uh, well, I mean, not to top it because there's no way I could top that because that really sucks. But I, you know, just spent the last few hours in the bathroom. So, you know, everybody seems to be having their problems today. It's just one of those days. <laughs> Joe, please tell us coming that, on tonight. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Father Joe, please tell us that you're having a better night than the two of us. Yeah. It's, you know, beautiful weather outside today and have any injuries at uh, dinner or any illnesses otherwise. So things are going pretty well. <laughs> Lucky you. Lucky you. That's all I have to say. Must be nice. But I just jinxed myself, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good job. Yeah, knock on wood. No, Henry, I promise. No dog. No, no, it's okay. See, that's the problem. You can't actually do those kinds of things when you have a dog. <laughs> so what are you, are you going by Father Joe? That's fine. So uh, we have a history that nobody else yes. really knows about except for uh, one of our listeners, Donnie Urban, um, which we'll give a big shout out to at the end. Um, but... Uh, 
we were in EMT class together. What, like nine years ago? Uh, it's been about that. Hard to believe it's been so long. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was fun. And so tell us about like, so you were in the fire department, obviously, right? That's what got you there. So you were, you were cool hose, right? It was, yeah. Uh, the one right beside uh, where you were a firefighter. Yeah, I was at Bell Valley. We Hello, were not, uh, not too far from each other. Right. Only uh, our fire trucks are painted the correct color. So <laughs> that's the, the main difference. <laughs> hey, I'm not with them oh. anymore, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so now, just Joe, for anyone who doesn't know, your- fire trucks are normally red. Uh, I was at Bell Valley, which we had orange fire trucks for... I think in the 60s or something like that, the insurance companies were offering cheaper insurance for fire departments if they painted their vehicles a brighter color so that they wouldn't get hit by traffic when they're on the side of the road. So I guess we chose orange and that's what we stayed with. And they were, it was always interesting, <laughs> just unique. Yeah. But fire trucks now, Joe, are supposed to be red. Wasn't your grandfather the uh, um, captain at Bell Valley or? It was a chief long time ago, but uh, just recently, uh, before he passed away, he was the president. Oh, right. So and I, he I was the, the man. That Vince would have known. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, that guy was a legend. The man was a legend. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> He's your your typical old school firefighter is what he was. And everyone looked up to him. All us young guys really looked up to him. And he was the, the now, stereotypical Italian grandpa, too. <laughs> I'm sure he was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the name Patron, you really can't go wrong there, right? Was that Patron? Right. But, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I met Joe. I remember, Joe, when you, when Bishop Persco was becoming our bishop, Father Kosicki asked you, I think, was it the Crozier to carry in? It was, yes. Yeah. Uh, at the so time, I, I was uh, newly Catholic. So that's right. That was sort of my first thing with the church. Wow. Wow, you're gonna have to tell us that story because that I mean it's what a crazy thing. First becoming Catholic and then the next thing you know, uh, uh, Father Joe, I probably shouldn't do that voice. Uh Father Joe, or well, <laughs> at that point, hey Joe, would you carry in the Bishop Alex Crozier to be blessed at evening prayer the night before his ordination? It was uh it was a very stereotypical Father Michael invitation <laughs> too. I believe he gave me a phone call. And said, uh, I have a favor to ask. Will you do it? I said, yeah, sure. And he said, oh, that's very dangerous to agree to doing something before I tell you what it is. You're a very trusting man. <laughs> and uh, I don't think I said this to him, but I thought, well, if the church is asking me to do something, I hope it would be OK to do. But of course, it, it ended up being something that was OK to do. But I was always very skeptical that whenever Father Michael asked me to do anything after that. You, you very wise man, very, very wise man. <laughs> what a, what a wonderful thing. You know, I don't know if you ever noticed that, but it, your comment there, if the church asked me to do it, then it must be something I should do. Well, you know, how, how funny and how all of this kind of played out for you in your life. But, you know, as you had kind of alluded to, and even said um, that you weren't Catholic your entire life. So I didn't know you until that day. And Vince, of course, knew you just from taking a class together when you're both in the uh, fire hall and things like that. So how, tell our listeners a little bit how like you ended up where you are. So uh, dad's side of the family is Catholic. Dad was not practicing at the time he met my mom and mom was practicing. Uh, she went to a Methodist church at the time. 
so they got married in the Methodist church and uh, I came along a couple years later and uh, I was baptized as were all of my siblings in the Methodist church and uh, grew up, we would go to church on most Sundays, uh, but mom's a nurse. And when she had to work on the weekends, you know, wouldn't go, we would just hang out with dad at the house. Uh, and that was pretty much my childhood. Uh, I was in high school. A pastor came along who was very involved in trying to get a youth group going. So he would host different events that the youth would do. And one of the things he implemented was youth Sundays. So uh, it was a nice vacation for him, uh, but the youth would do everything at the service. So someone would lead the songs, someone would pick the readings, and then uh, one of the youth would give the sermon. And uh, the first time we did it that I can remember, uh, we had a, a game set up in the garage of his house uh, that was a dartboard, and everyone had to do whatever their dart landed on. Of course, my luck, the dart landed on give the, uh, the sermon at the next Youth Sunday. So that was sort of my introduction to preaching. It, how, it ended how up enjoying it a lot more. How old were you? I was in high school, so okay. I'll say 16 or 17, okay. somewhere in that range. Uh, and looking back at the notes that I had typed up, because uh, that's actually when I was ordained a deacon, my grandma somehow had a copy of that first sermon that I gave. So uh, she gave me, I have a laminated copy here in uh, one of my boxes. I'm at a temporary assignment, so I'm just living out of boxes right now. So I, I can't pull it out and flash it and show you. But uh, yeah, that was my ordination present from my grandma was my first homily that I gave. Uh, and, uh, I think Senior Becker, our homiletics professor, would say that I needed a, a lot of work. <laughs> that was sort of my my introduction to any sort of ministry whatsoever. And my grandfather was one of the lay preachers at the church. So all of the old ladies really were good at rubbing my ego, making me feel good for, you know, first of all, I was a young guy. Second, my grandpa preached all the time. So gave me a lot of compliments. Now, reading it today, I don't think it was anything worth writing home about, but at the time, I really enjoyed getting all the compliments. So whenever there was another Youth Sunday, I would say, you know what? I can do that. Uh, I remember a couple of years later, uh, we I went on a mission trip with the church to Guatemala, and they needed someone to lead the service. Uh, when we got back, explaining what we did, showing our pictures and all that fun stuff. So, of course, my hand shot up right away. So sort of baby steps into walking around and to preaching. Uh, most of my life, well, you know, most of my conscious memory, I wanted to be a rocket scientist. When I was very young, my aunt lived in Florida. She worked for Disney. We would get to go down about every other year to visit her. And one of our trips we made was to the Kennedy Space Center. We got to tour the museum and uh, had a shuttle tour at the time that would take you out to see the launch pads and all that. And I was just, my eyes were about the size of dinner plates and I was just taking everything in. And that was what 
I figured I'd be doing for the rest of my life was designing and building and flying rockets. Uh, and the point where one of my very close high school mentors was a math teacher. His name was uh, Stan Brzezicki. He helped me and colleges that would really help me get set up and going uh, to become an aerospace engineer. He was very, very skilled at you know helping students find where they would fit in if they would come to him for advice. So he actually, he was the one who told me uh, about a college down in Daytona Beach, Florida uh, called Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. Vince, another small world, uh, one of the firefighters at Cool Hose also didn't actually go there, but I know he was considering going there, but he graduated high school right around the time of September 11th. Didn't want to go into that field. Understandable. So I, I want to say ended up going to... Uh, the State University of New York instead. Huh. But that was almost another uh, connection to the fire service in my life. In tiny old green township. I was going to say, yeah, the <laughs> thriving metropolis. Uh, so he got me into the school, you know, wrote me a real strong letter of recommendation, uh, you know, helped create a personalized curriculum for me because uh, the school I went to was very small. So he helped make sure that all the classes that I would need to get admitted were offered. Uh, and it worked very well. I was able to get accepted right away to the school. I was accepted even to the honors program, I think in a large part because of his letter of recommendation. Uh, down there, of course, living in Daytona Beach, Florida, how bad could that be? All of the kids on my floor were also in the honors program, so uh, they were nice and nerdy like I was. It was real easy to find connections. Uh, plus, the, the school is well known for aerospace engineering. So people came from all over the world. So I actually, most of the friends that I hang out with as I'm thinking about it, uh, came from different countries even. Most of them were American citizens that grew up on... Uh, military bases overseas. The The group that I hung out with, most of them came from Okinawa and Japan. That was really cool, you know, being from uh, the small community that I was uh, going to college and getting to meet people from all over the world was really incredible experience for me. I loved all the classes that I was taking. Sort of, I just knew that was not what I was supposed to do with my life. Didn't really explain it, you know. Thought I, because of my friends, I having a great time living it up in Daytona Beach, Florida. But there's just something in me wasn't satisfied, and it, it wasn't until much later that I could explain it appropriately. Uh, but it was a, a moment of panic. I called Mr. Brzezicki and said, you know. All my life was preparing me for this moment, and it's not what I thought it would be. I have no idea what to do. I I want to say you're on the phone for close to an hour uh, because this is this is pre unlimited text messaging. So that's back when we had to phone call every time we <laughs> wanted to talk. So it's better yeah, that way. We had a, a real long phone call, and uh, he ended up. Me, I, I still liked math. 
thought it was the engineering part that I didn't want to do. He got me uh, thinking about applying for math programs. The first one that I applied for was at a university in Maryland. Because once you live on the beach, the ocean, it's, it's very hard to give that up. Yeah. So I applied for a university in Maryland, closer to home, but still on the ocean. And uh, I wasn't, uh, I was accepted there and had to pay my tuition deposit, you know, all powerful tuition deposit that they take. Uh, and the computer system wouldn't process the payment. Now, uh, my dad had got me a job at his plastic factory at the time. I knew I had plenty of money in the bank account. So I waited a couple of days just to make sure it wasn't an error, checked my bank account, nothing came out. So I tried again, nothing. And as much as I'm like that now, it was even worse when I was uh, going to be a sophomore in college. There was no way in heck that I was going to call someone on the telephone and talk to them about my problem. I think I tried two or three more times to process this payment and it just never took. And by then I had passed the deadline. So they, you know, removed my spot. So now I'm, you know, working at a plastic factory, not really knowing where I'm going to go with my life. And on a whim, I was a big fan of house at the time. So I told my mom, well, what about just becoming a doctor of a math teacher? No, interest in it at all, but it was just something that I felt like I should do. Uh, so uh, she told me just to apply quick for Gannon, and that's what I ended up doing. Uh, everything you know, processed on time. The payments were on time. Uh, my advisor called me and like helped me figure out my schedule from Embry-Riddle and the credits that would transfer and what I would take so I wouldn't lose too much time and got me going as a, a pre-med biology major. So I just want to stop you right there. So anyone that's listening that's about to go to college, just go to the one yeah. that will take your money. That just sounds like yeah, exactly. the way to go. <laughs> easy answer. Easy answer. Yeah. <laughs> the easy way to do it. Uh, so uh, here I am, a uh, sophomore in college, uh, in a university, one that I never thought that I would go to. I wanted to get a f as far away from Erie as I possibly could. Uh, and they were the one who would take my money. So uh, there I was. I, I also so, want to say, you know, just just as someone who um, is a part of the Diocese of Erie, uh, Gannon will take anybody's money. Anyway, Joe. <laughs> Very true. Uh, so I uh, started going through the biology curriculum. I found myself in the same spot that I was down in Florida. Biology was not really what I wanted to do, but I really didn't want to change again. Of course, as I think most every college student does these days, uh, I went back and forth several times of switching between biology and math. Was was on the biology track, so I would be done quicker. But you know, I'm still really interested in doing all the math work was really torn with that. Around that time, we also got a new pastor at the Methodist church. And so finally, one day I went and just loaded on him all my conflict of what I was doing at the time. And uh, he sort of helped me see things. He recognized that uh, maybe 
Maybe I was being called to ministry. Maybe that's why I was struggling so much with what I was doing. And of course, in a young college student at the time, I informed him that in fact, I was not interested in ministry. So uh, I'm going to stop you again. How was your prayer life at the time? Uh, we'll go to church on Sundays and that was about it. Okay. I mean, that was me in college really too. There. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but one thing that he did talk me into, uh, I took Spanish in high school and really enjoyed it and let it fizzle out. But the church was uh, leading a missionary trip down to Guatemala for a week. He said, why don't you try that out? Because it would be very uh, ministry involved. I could see if maybe that would be something that I would be interested in. Oh, I was excited to go down and try it out. But at the same time, I was kind of nervous that it might force the issue and tell me that I needed to become a pastor. And uh, went down and absolutely loved it. Uh, it was very striking to me. Uh, the people down in Guatemala have absolutely nothing. Uh, an overwhelming majority of the houses the people we visited were four by fours pounded into the mud, some corrugated tin around for the walls and the roof. Most of them had holes everywhere. So uh, you had to stand in a certain spot in the house if it was raining. So you didn't get wet, things like that. They were all so joyful. And whenever we would ask them what they needed, would always point to other people. Or here we are in the middle of a rainstorm huddled in a corner of a house and they're talking about how their grandmother is sick and she's too far away. They can't walk to go visit her. They knew the ministry had a van. So if we could just go check in on her and see what she needed instead of what these people needed. That was sort of the first time my eyes were opened in that manner. I came back and pretty quickly got back involved in the routine and uh, American way of life. Uh, but then found out that the church was going to do another mission trip the next year and uh, decided to sign up for that one too. And that time I was able to take my mom down uh, and that same type of thing, but being there with mom and being able, I'm very introverted. So there are very few people that I will process things out loud with, but my mom is one of them. So being able to process things out loud with my mom was very helpful for me. And that was sort of the first time I let myself acknowledge that maybe I was called to ministry. So I uh, came back still undecided with how I was going to handle Gannon uh, because the pastor at the Methodist church said, basically, you just need a degree to go to seminary for the Methodist church. It doesn't matter what, because they'll teach you everything that they want you to know. So I was still trying to figure out how I was going to conclude in the fastest way. Of course, I put so much energy into figuring out how I would figure out the fastest way that I ended up taking five years to finish school because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. It was at this time at Gannon, in fact, it was between mission trips, that I took a class called Intro to Sacred Scriptures at Gannon. And that was really my first introduction to Catholicism. Of course, as a good Methodist boy, knew everything there was to know about Catholicism, their theology, and why everything was incorrect. Of course. So imagine my surprise when I sit down at this class and start teaching me what the Catholics actually believe. 
And I found out that a lot of it actually made more sense than what I was thinking at the time. That was very different from what I thought that it would be. So what, so, what was your biggest hang up going in about what the Catholic church is as in like the stereotype that, uh, that really changed the way you thought about it? Oh, so, uh, really the first one, like I said, I was very involved in sciences growing up. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Then I wanted to be a mathematician. Then I wanted to be a biologist, uh, it was very difficult for me to reconcile the worldview that I got the Methodist church. And I just assumed that it was everywhere. And, uh, you know, my, my image of the Catholic church was just sort of this medieval creation that uh, a wannabe tyrannical organization that just tried to troll people, basically, I guess would be how I would describe it today. Though I didn't, couldn't say that back then. Just, you know, why they would do something like the sacrament of confession you can just go directly to God. Why do I have to go to a priest? Something like that. I people say that the, the host and the wine became the body and blood of Christ. Very clearly, it was just bread and wine, things like that. They, I never let things go past that superficial level. I think that not only with the, the Catholic church, but even with my own understanding of the Methodist church, I'd say that's what I struggled with the most. Uh, but uh, here I took this class on good scripture. I remember priests who taught it at the time, Father Jason Glover uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, in the Catholic worldview, there was nothing inherently wrong with, theory of evolution absolutely blew my mind because I can remember even in eighth grade when we learned about it for the first time, knew my teacher was a, a devout Catholic. So one day after class, I just went up to her and I asked her how she can rationalize her faith with the idea of evolution. She, you know, very nonchalantly said, oh, I don't think that they have to be conflict at all that sort of opened my eyes but just figured oh she's just a science teacher she will say what she has to 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 justify her beliefs to get to a college level class here a priest a, a leader of the faith in the exact same thing that was mind-boggling to me that's i think Almost instantaneously, like all my barriers against Catholicism dropped because I'm suddenly interested in how I can reconcile my faith with my scientific worldview, so to speak. So you know, suddenly became interested in everything that the priests had to say. I had confession or uh, problems. You know, why do people go to confession? What's the deal with praying to saints? Things like that. I would send him questions thinking, oh, surely he won't have an answer to this. And would always respond very generously and it was best to explain. Or, you know, if he didn't have time to explain something, he would like send me an article because he must have known that I like reading and stuff. So he would help me figure this stuff out. Uh, so uh, at the time, everyone 
to take scriptures for their first level theology class. Once you got to your second level, you could split up. And I just assumed that I would be a good Protestant boy and take the class called Protestant Traditions. But that that class so shook me, I decided that I would take the class called Catholic Traditions to see you know what else I might have been close-minded about or well, so, not willing to so hear what, about. So what shook you about Protestant Traditions? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the, the Sacred Scripture class when he was talking about evolution. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that shook me enough uh, that I was interested in learning more about Catholicism because I figure as a Protestant, I knew everything that I was going to need to know. Again, I find that that's a very common belief that I have about myself. I know everything I need to know about that. So decided to take this Catholic traditions class and uh, it was the same sort of thing. You know, he started from the very beginning Know where we can see the church in scripture itself as the church, and then walk through how it developed through the centuries until what it is today. And uh, you learn very quickly when you start in scripture itself that the Catholic Church is not a medieval institution concerned with consolidating its power, but it is a church founded by Jesus Christ himself. So, uh, over the course of that, uh, but again, very separate from my Methodist experience, this would be going on around the same time as my mission trips. Uh, I was allowing myself to uh, sort of ask these questions about the Catholic Church that I just always assumed that I knew. I, I still remember the last day, I took my final exam up. It was the same priest who taught both classes. So I took my exam up to Father Glover. As I handed it in, I said, what do I have to do to become Catholic? Very excited and put me in contact with the RCIA team at Gannon and uh, helped me register. I took that class over the summer, so the RCIA classes wouldn't start until around the end of September. But I was now on the, the campus ministry mailing list, so they would make sure that I didn't miss it. Uh, at the same time, to sort of Back in history a little bit, I said at the beginning, my dad's family was Catholic. And it was around this time that my cousin became a cantor at St. Joe's Parish in Erie. And she would always, uh, that's back when Instant Messenger, if you remember that, that was the big thing. She would always send me a message on Instant Messenger saying, you know, hey, I'm the cantor this weekend. You should come hear me sing. I would always have an excuse, whether it was a good one or not. I didn't go. Finally, while I'm in this sacred scripture class, uh, she was the cantor on Thanksgiving. I had no excuse. <laughs> so I decided to just give in and, and go to hear her sing at St. Joe's. And uh, my uncle was going to be there also. So I knew that I would have someone to show me what to do because uh, that was that was a very big back for me is I didn't want to go to church and look like an idiot being the only one not knowing when to stand or when to sit as if everyone in the church would be looking at me and there was nothing else important going on but uh, so my uncle was there and he had his daily missile to show me what was going on and all of that stuff uh, I remember thinking oh, 
the first half of a Catholic mass is very similar to what I experienced in the Methodist church. That wasn't too big of a, a shakeup for me. And then we got to the point of the consecration. I couldn't explain it at that time, but uh, it was Father Larry Richards. He was the, the pastor, still is there. And he, he got to the part of the mass where he consecrated the bread and the wine. I just knew that something was different about it. I'll tell you what, there was something special about that moment to me. So went home and it was something that I just kept to myself. I, I didn't even talk to my mom about that. But the next time my cousin invited me to hear her sing, I accepted bother trying to find an excuse I would just go and uh, so I'm getting Catholic worldview from my scripture class so I'm starting to experience the mass more regularly and uh, all of this sort of combined uh, at that moment where I asked the priest what do I have to do enter the RCIA program Uh, so uh, Vince you asked earlier about my prayer life I have to admit Still didn't have much of a prayer life at that time. I didn't know what that would look like. You just felt like you were just, called. You felt like you were called to it. You were just attracted right. to it for some reason. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't explain it. I just knew I had to do something about becoming Catholic. I ended up going through the RCIA program at Gannon. It was a one-year program. So we started in September, went all the way until Christmas break, had a little bit of time off, and then we started again with the spring semester. Because everybody at Gannon goes home for Christ, or for Easter, rather, it was actually formed in the Catholic Church on Divine Mercy Sunday in 2012. So Divine Mercy, of course, has become a very important part of my life. It's very fitting that, you know, telling my story on a podcast about an encounter with mercy. Yeah. Yeah. But uh so here I am, newly Catholic, realizing that I no longer needed to be invited to mass, but belonged now. So started going. Because my family already went to St. Joe's, uh, I just started going with them. And uh that's why I joined there. I live closer to a different parish, but would go there with my family. And carried on pretty much like that. Yeah. So, uh, what was the big leap into now wanting to become a priest? Yeah. So, uh, I had mentioned that I talked to uh, the pastor of the Methodist Church about becoming a pastor. He basically said, you know, you'll just finish your degree and you know your last semester. Uh, contact me, and we'll talk about. Uh, he went to the Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Uh, right. Did, yeah. Uh, uh, Presbyterian, but they have a lot of stuff for Methodists. So uh, he offered to take me down there and tour there when I was getting ready to graduate from college and help me fill out all the paperwork and get involved with uh, Methodist Seminary. Uh, and that was always in the back of my mind. Part of me wanted to be a college professor, but part of me also always wanted to, to be a pastor. I figured I'd cross that bridge when I got to it. Well, to the end of my college career, uh, you know, deciding when I would talk to the pastor about becoming, you know, going down and checking out PTS and all that, I 
this awakened in the middle of the night, panicked, I can't be a Methodist minister, I'm Catholic now. And didn't know what to do, you know, couldn't talk to anyone about it. Finally, I think one of the campus ministers uh, recognized something and encouraged me to talk to a priest and try and get a, a spiritual director to help me figure out what's going on in my life. And uh, ended up talking with Father Michael Kosicki, who was the rector of the minor seminary in Erie, St. Mark's Seminary. And uh, he had talked to him earlier because when I became active in the campus ministry, someone asked me if I was going to become a priest. I said, oh, maybe. So uh, they knew Father Michael and introduced us. He basically said, you know, that's a very nice thought, but you need to become Catholic before we can do anything. Uh, And that was where that settled. So here I am. Finally, I had become Catholic. Father Michael was also one of the chaplains. He was the chaplain at Gannon. So I got to know him going to Mass at Gannon and asked him to sort of journey with me and figure out what I'm in called to in my life, whether I should start applying for grad schools to become a, a biology professor, because that's what I ultimately settled on, or uh, whether I should talk about entering the seminary. And after a, I would meet with him about once a month, I and it was probably most of my senior year, super senior year, actually, at uh he, uh, he said he would step back from being my spiritual director, and uh, he encouraged me to apply for the seminary. I did, and uh, as Father Andy can tell you, it's a very intensive process. Uh, oh, yes. You have to, to meet with both of them and talk about why you think you're called to the seminary, answer all sorts of uh, questionnaires. You have to have a, what was it, Father Andy, like hour psych exam or something oh yeah that that thing oh gosh it takes forever plus the hour-long follow-up a week later once he graded everything do they give you a top secret clearance after that too yeah. i wish but <laughs> wait you, you didn't that oh oh whoops uh sorry that was yeah. only level for third degree clearances anyway yeah, the father andy's holding that on us all <laughs> but uh so through all of this and uh you know typically like i looked at a a graduate school application it was like a quarter of the requirements that you had to do to apply for seminary there was just nothing about me that was interested in filling out any of that whereas the super detailed in-depth process you have to write a huge uh, autobiography about yourself and why you think you're called and all that none of that was very daunting to me took me a lot of time because was working at a local grocery store at the time. It was difficult to schedule time to go meet with the psychologist and get all the medical exams and all of that stuff. Uh, I was very excited to do every step. And you know, finally, uh, just when you feel like you complete one step, they say, oh, great. Thanks for all this stuff. Now, you know, need six letters of recommendation from people. Uh, three of them have to be priests. That was a, a concern for me because I had only been Catholic for two years at the time. 
didn't really know a whole lot of priests uh, with uh, enough depth that I felt comfortable asking them for a letter of recommendation. Uh, but especially because Father Michael, who I probably knew the closest, uh, was removed from that process being one of the ones who had to read them. But eventually I was able to find enough priests at Gannon who I knew well enough to ask for letters and enough family and friends uh, that I completed the process. And uh, I remember I was at work at this grocery store and uh, got a, a voicemail while I was working. And on my break, went back into the break room and checked it. And it was Father Michael calling me to tell me that Bishop Persico has accepted me as a seminarian and had signed the letter and I would be getting it in the mail later that week. And uh, the person all those years ago who had asked if I was interested in becoming a priest who worked at Gannon, she was the first one that I called and said, just wanted to let you know, effective today, I'm officially a seminarian for the Diocese of Erie. And uh, hadn't told too many people that I was applying. I think, actually, Father Andy, you were one of the first ones that I told because after we had met when I brought in the Bishop's Crozier, we had been close and would do things outside of school That's hours. right. Oh, my gosh. You're right. I forgot all about that. I forget what we were doing, but we were at Plymouth for something, I remember. You and I were sitting yeah, next no to each other. No wonder you forgot you were at the Plymouth. <laughs> yeah, there well, you go. I don't know why. Um, you drank too much. We were, ce- we were celebrating someone's birthday. Uh, yeah, that's right. I can't remember who. Wasn't it... Um, the Jareds? Yes, Jared Schaff. It was Jared Schaff's birthday. Because there's some yeah. ridiculous. Anyway, we'll leave that go. We'll just leave that go. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, first, knew it would be easier to tell the Catholic side. Uh, so, yeah. I went to uh, my dad's parents first. Uh, that would be the grandpa that you know. And told them. And of course, grandma was all excited. And in the way that only an Italian grandfather could say, said, as long as you stay away from the Jesuits, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> smart man, smart man. And then, uh, uh, and at the time, my dad had lived right next door to my grandparents. He saw that we were all sitting on their front porch and he walked over and I told him also that I had applied for the seminary and was accepted. And uh, I can remember that he he wasn't overly excited, but he wasn't uh, persuasive either. He just said, "As long as you're doing what makes you happy." Now, uh, you know, he was just as excited as I was for my ordination. So I don't want anyone to think that that main forever. That oh man, the look on your dad's face at your ordination. I mean, we were all kind of just saddened about how it it happened, just because of not being able to have as many people there. But honestly, the look on your dad's face for at ordination reminded me so much of my parents when at my ordination. They were just so ecstatic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was the easy side there. Well, I'm so, sure uh, I'm sure seminary was had its trials and tribulations, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. What was probably the, mm-hmm. what was the hardest thing you had to go through in seminary that really challenged you? That maybe made um, you question, you know, why you're there? Because I'm sure everyone has at least something of that, right? Right. Um, I think the hardest part for me, of course, uh, going through college, getting used to life on your own, and then suddenly 
know, you have to ask before you can do things. Oh, yes. That, that was a, a big challenge for me. Really, uh, I think just the length of time it took. By the time I was ordained this month, I, I had been in school for, I think, 24 consecutive years uh, with, you know, High school, kindergarten right. through 12th grade, plus five years of college the first time, plus six years of seminary. So it just got to the point that I was ready to be done with school. Yeah. And to the point where it's like, all right, do I really want to be a priest this bad or do I just like want to go work for a while? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but needless to say, right now, I'm very glad that I took the, the leap and stayed with it. Yeah, I, I would say that's the hardest part. So how's how's being so you've been ordained now for a little over a month. How's it going? Uh you know, do you have uh you're at you're at St. Luke's right next to Mercyhurst College, right? And right. and I'm sure co- college isn't in session other than maybe some summer school stuff, but uh are you I mean if you stay in the fall, you might get some you're going to get a lot of college students that come into town. And what are some of your what are some of your goals there? Have you thought about any of that, or are you just kind of just kind of get settled in, just to kind of see what happens? Like, what's going on? What's going through your head right now? Um, so uh, right now I'm basically waiting uh, to get that phone call from the bishop's office to see where I'm going full time. Uh, but I'm very lucky. Uh, Father John Malthainer is the pastor here at St. Luke's. He's very good. You know. Whether or not I'm here for the long term, he's good at getting me in to experience the uh, staff meetings, all the behind the scenes stuff that probably didn't get a chance to really experience. Uh, you mean there's, during no, our there's no business school and some things that will be expected very shortly to run all by ourselves. Right. Yeah. You're basically so, a business owner. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, just a prime example of that. Uh, today, we had a meeting for about three hours. St. Luke still has uh, a campus of the Erie Catholic school system. uh, And we're trying to figure out what that will look like with the coronavirus uh, getting started again, Uh, how we're going to have kids here, how we're going to keep them safe, uh, whether that's even a possibility and sort of different strategies that we can elect to take. uh, Should things get bad again and we have to resume off campus learning. Things that even had I had a regular priesthood at an assignment, things that I never would have expected to deal with. Yeah. Being thrown into that fire. Luckily, very happily, without having the burden of making the final decision myself, but being able to voice my peace and helping people see things from a different perspective and also having people explain to me from a different perspective. Uh, that's been a real joy. Uh, and of course, uh, I not really put into words the experience of being able to celebrate the sacraments. For Obviously, that's a huge part of the reason why I'm here. Uh, and it is absolutely every bit the joy that I was hoping that it would be, and even more so. So just becoming more comfortable celebrating the Mass, celebrating confession, celebrating anointing of the sick, I was lucky to have a couple experiences with uh, weddings and with baptisms as a deacon, but had a wedding as a priest with uh, with the mass. So 
really getting my feet wet celebrating the sacraments is also a huge joy. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, a struggle, of course, has been all of the coronavirus restriction. Yeah, you really came into it uh, at a weird time. Oh, absolutely. And I, I like to tell the story, though. Uh, you know, a lot of people were upset that we were ordained and only I think there were only 30 some people in the chapel. Yeah. At my ordination, it was a, a very low number. A, a huge blessing of that. Uh, my grandmother's sister is almost 90 years old, lives down in South Carolina. Uh, so an ordinary year, there was no way that she was to be able to travel to see my ordination because everything was online. Uh, she was able to stream and uh, be my grandma excitedly that evening to tell her that she was able to watch. And uh, she was so excited that she was able to be a part of that. I've gotten a lot of messages also. Uh, we had a foreign exchange student in Denmark my senior year of high school. He and I keep in touch, but he's another one uh, because everything was live streamed. He was able to celebrate with me from afar. So I've, I've really made that my goal is to look at the blessings that have come from all of this compared to all the negativity because there's enough negativity in the world right now that I do my best not to get dragged down into it. Yeah, it's a really good way to look at it. And I mean, I think it's something we can all learn just when things are hard, especially now. Just look at the yeah. blessings of what this, even though it's a burden, what it has it provided us? Because it's provided us something, whether it's family time or whether it's being able to connect with people you haven't seen in a long time because they don't live close by and you actually have, like I'm calling my friends more and talking on the phone. Like my friends who live in Pittsburgh or even Texas now, you know, I try to call them every couple of weeks and just, just have a conversation. Sometimes it lasts three hours long, but it's before this ever happened, it was just a text message here or there and I never really thought about it. Now I'm starting to think of friends and family as, as more, more important, I guess, and more worth my time to invest into actually talking to them. And I think that's what we exactly. all need. Exactly. I have to say, you know, I liked watching sports on TV, but uh, I realized what's it been three months now without I have sports on TV and oh, I can go haven't without yet it. missed it. Yep. I guess it's just, it's one of those things that you can train yourself to go without. Yep, so. absolutely. So I got, uh, we're going on, we're almost, at, we're 51 minutes here going on. So cool. I want to, I want to wrap this up soon, but I got a couple of questions for you. Uh, I'm kind of putting you in the hot seat cause I did not prepare you for these at all. So <laughs> don't feel Those are the like, best answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are going to be honest answers. Um, so as a convert, um, how do we bring Protestants back to the church? Okay. And before you ask, and I know that, you're not going to be able to answer that. this question because I mean, not, not it's going to be a hard question because we've been asking this for thousand, like a thousand years now, or 500 years now. So, oh, go ahead, father. Okay. So my, I want to, I want to first rephrase, uh, not rephrase, but I want to ask a question that you should answer first. Do you consider yourself, because I have heard this from other uh, Protestants who become Catholic. Do you consider yourself a convert? I think the proper definition uh, convert, I would not be one. Right. I, I just use it because it's 
I think it's, it's way everyone to understands it. To people. Yeah. 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 You're more, you're, you're technically, I mean, if we're going to go by technical definitions, you are a revert. Yeah. But, right. Uh, yes. Because right. still, his I'm baptism was still valid. Right. Exactly. And so I just, I'm always curious because there are some people, there are some people who come to the Catholic faith that um, would be called a convert and they are vehemently against that term understandably so because well it's not it doesn't really technically define them but then there's other people that you know it doesn't matter but i always am curious to know about that because um of our different experiences with the faith uh i don't think i don't think in the deepest part of your heart that you ever left that faith that you had as a child right so anyway that was my question sorry i wanted to answer that ask that because it kind of leads into what i think vince is going to ask anyway go ahead re-ask him yeah (laughs) okay so how do you answer the question that we've been trying to answer since the council of trent oh uh i think most important thing uh, is witness uh like I said, you know, my cousin asked me every time she sang for months on end uh, to come. And finally, I just ran out of excuses. I think uh, a big problem, and I know I myself have it, so I'm not accusing others of something I myself don't do, but we get tired of asking. They ask and they say no, and we say, oh, okay, and then we move on and never ask again. But my cousin just instantly kept asking if I would come hear her sing. Uh the the joy she had about singing about serving in this ministry uh, that enough I'm elapsed that I ran out of excuses and wanted to see what the what all the fuss was about so I would say that's the most important thing uh, but along with that it can't be false witness we have to f- experience that joy faith ourselves be authentic witnesses to it uh, because even myself you know i talk about the the moment that rock moment of hearing that our worldviews aligned uh, and how it made me start questioning the, the different teachings of the church i don't know if that would have been enough on its own to get me in the door i i think we need that authentic witness I think we need more people willing to do it, willing to put themselves out and just invite people. People aren't going to come if we don't invite them. And I think that's where uh, a problem is today is we're afraid of confrontation and we're afraid of any negative answer we're going to get from somebody. And so I see this, I see this a lot with all of my friends is where you see someone doing something they really shouldn't be that, you know, that it's not really even making them happy, whatever life decision it is. And instead of intervening and telling them, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. Instead we celebrate them or we just kind of let it go. And maybe we passively encourage them to make whatever decision it is that even though we know is wrong for not only as a Christian, but even for their life in general, it's going to end up in a negative experience, but we're afraid to say something because we're afraid of anything negative. All we want to do is affirm people no matter what the consequences are. And I think that's one of the biggest things we're facing right now, especially in the world of social media. And that's where we're, what we are trying to break here in encounter mercy. And I, and I think you're kind of hitting that point is 
keep reaching out no matter what. And don't be afraid to reach out because you may get a no and that's okay. Be the used car salesman and just keep hounding them. Just come on. Hey, come on. But it's, you know, instead of the used car salesman, slimy and creepy, instead just be, be a good witness. Like you said as well, and practice your faith and keep inviting. And, and maybe one day, maybe they won't, but maybe one day they're going to say yes to that. And you can't be afraid of being turned down. And that's where I think we have a hard time these days. Yeah. I, I, I you know, just in my experience, um, gosh, almost, what, what is it now? Two years as a priest. Um, I think that is the truth. And just like in our last podcast where we talked about the, uh, the call of, um, Oh gosh, what's saying? Anyway, there's no duplicity in him. Just being honest and being truthful and being yourself, but also being the Catholic that we are called to be. That I think like that, that is where we're going to work at bringing people back into and bringing new people to the faith. And I think that was your experience, Joe, of just that honest asking and there wasn't any sort of like, um, uh, it just was your cousin being your cousin. And I can see Maria doing it because that's Maria. She is. Yeah. All right. So I got one more question and we're going to wrap it up here. This one's a little bit easier. I don't think we've been asking this for as long. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you you have the, the science background. Um, so how do we reconcile some of the anti-science beliefs some Christians hold that kind of blankets all of Christianity including Catholicism in the view of uh, atheists and people of other other religion. Of course, the say the the big one was the Big Bang theory, and because uh, I remember when I still had Facebook, one of my friends who was either non-Catholic or non-practicing uh, was very surprised that. Pope Francis spoke in favor of the Big Bang Theory. This was revolutionary to them. They couldn't believe that the Catholic Church was so on board with science. Uh, I want to say it was Pius XII uh, was also very much in favor. And of course, the Big Bang Theory was pioneered by a Catholic Jesuit priest. Yeah. So whenever we encounter it, Correct the errors, like church doesn't believe in science. Well, actually, you know, most of our modern genetics comes from uh, Gregor Mendel, who was a Catholic monk. Our Big Bang Theory comes from a Catholic priest and on and on and on. Like science as we know it today has been formulated by the Catholic church. So just, like I said, authentically, but politely, not trying to of it down people's throats, just correct error when we see it out of a, a spirit of brotherly love and keep it from perpetuating and that it's enough to, to win people over. Uh, unfortunately, you know, with all the, the flat earth stuff coming out, I mean, just oh my goodness, <laughs> there will always be those people who will see the results that conclusively disprove their theory still cling to the theory. I, fortunately, I don't think it is an easier question. I think the response of both is the same, just authentic witness, uh, acting people when we can. 
No, I like it. And, uh, I obviously, I, I believe I talk about all the time about we've been around for how many thousands of years. Uh, (laughs) I believe in the big bang theory and I, and I believe that, you know, modern science is the way to explain the natural world. And we have, and God gave us other things like philosophy and just art and beauty to be able to explain the supernatural. And there are things that we're never going to learn, you know, unless we're God willing, able to, uh, to make it into the kingdom of heaven. So, uh, you know, while we're on this earth, I think we need to, I think we need to continue to look towards the truth and we should never look at science as something that's anti-Christian because it's not everything that it's, it says pretty much affirms everything that we believe even more. And it's just funny how there's this 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 divide that every single time there's a scientific te- scientific breakthrough, it's like, oh, gotcha. There's no God. Well, it's like, no, that's what are you talking about? That's complete opposite. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, that's just something that I think is we just have to, I guess, get out there from our side is, and just be the louder voice uh, instead of the oh no, the world's only what five thousand years old and. Dinosaurs were created from the dinosaur bones were created from the devil. So it looks like that we, you know, that, that there, you know, was no God and stuff like that. Like we need to, we need to get away from that. We need to be the louder voice that speaks, you know, the truth in that because science is real. God gave us all these things to learn truth. Otherwise he would have just made us these mindless creatures who just killed and ate things and fought each other. I mean, we're more than, we're more than the, the cow in the field. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, I'm just a guy who, uh, who likes to ponder these things. I don't know. (laughs) Very. Yeah. This is all very, very appropriate. And so it's, it's in this crazy time of our life that we find ourselves and it's crazy time of our life that we are here together. Uh, you know, Joe, Father Joseph Patron and myself, Father Andy Boyd, and, and just the fact that we are priests of a very strange time, but an opportunity for us to reach out to all of our brothers and sisters. And as you have said over and over again, Father Joe, uh, the need to be authentic witnesses. So we're grateful to you for being an authentic witness with us here tonight on the Encounter Mercy podcast. Not that I'm doing a, uh, a good job of like wrapping this up and leading us to the you're doing you're doing fine father and before we end i just want to give a uh, a quick shout out to uh donnie urban who i think was uh, a role model for both for both uh father joe and myself absolutely um, in in the fire department and just in life in general i've had some amazing conversations with donnie that i would probably never share with anybody else and i never want to have this conversation with anybody else because he was uh, such an understanding man, or is he's not? He's still with us, not was. Uh, but he's he is a listener, so uh, rest his soul. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's also not less understanding now than he used to be either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard he's on you to get your EMT certification back. Yeah, and uh, and he tempts me by sending pictures of myself when I was much younger, much skinnier, and had much more hair in all my firefighting gear. Also. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be getting me too because mine just expired two days ago. Oh, so yeah, so we we share that in common. So, uh, Donnie, if you're listening to this, uh, reach out to us. Uh, it's been a long time since I talked to you, so uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. But uh, we're gonna wrap this up here. Uh, actually, Father Andy's gonna wrap this up here because he's the host tonight. I'm just kind of sitting back in the 
passenger seat for the first You're time. You're doing in a, a long good time. job. Just keep it going because uh, you know how to close us out. Well, here comes the music, so you better hurry it up. Oh, good. Make sure that you like us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and uh, check us out on our website, encountermercy.com, and let us know if you are listening. Please do send us some feedback and let us know. And uh, hey, Joe, do you think you'd be able to get Maria to listen? Because I think that she'd enjoy this episode. Yeah, I'll let her know. Yeah, you got to try to do that. And maybe we can get a few more people to uh, listen to us ramble for too long. But hey, you know what? It's good to have you here. Thank you for coming. Hey, the music's over. Well, the music's over already? (laughs) In any event. I I was the long-winded one. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great night, everybody, and we'll see you all soon. Peace.